0: beautiful people welcome back to another episode of the asian tales this podcast is meant to share our life's journey being asian with the experiences and realizations we've made along the way the asian tales is a beacon for individuals to look towards today's guest is the amazing carrie hokama Kerry is an author, content creator, kingmaker, and Japanese-American. He shares what it was like growing up as a Japanese-American, his experience as being an unmarketable Asian-American in the music industry, and the importance of Asian individuals recognizing and stepping out of a second-class mindset and Asian stereotypes. Kerry Hokama shares his tale. Hello, Carrie. Welcome on to the podcast. I am so happy to have you on here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come talk, talk, talk with me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Diamond. You know, today was a red letter day. This was marked on my calendar for a long time. So today's the day, Diamond, you and I, that's what's up.
0: Yes. That sounds good. Uh, just for our listeners, could you give us a brief introduction, who you are, I'd love to hear your ethnicity, and maybe what you do, and a fun fact.
1: Oh, absolutely. So my name is Kerry Hokama. I'm a second-generation Japanese-American on my mom's side, or I'm a fourth-generation Japanese-American on my dad's side, so I speak both languages. I'm a content producer, author, speaker, and I love to just create real cool lifestyle content revolving around food and lifestyle. And... Uh, just recently, especially during the pandemic, I've learned that saying a, saying no to a thousand things, is what's been keeping me safe and alive.
0: Thank you very much for your introduction. You actually said something that huh. I wanted to talk about today about being second generation versus fourth generation. I consider myself third generation from my grandparents' side or from my mom's side. How does one define themselves by that? Do you you happen to know? Because I don't know. Like, do you say you're second gen or fourth gen? Like, which which do you go by?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I only say that uh, to Japanese people and it depends who I like to impress, right? So if Mm -hmm. it's fourth generation, then they'll be impressed by how much Japanese I know and then if it's if I say first generation then or you know so I don't know if I'm first or second because I was actually born in Japan but I grew up here so I guess I'm technically Oh, presented.
0: I think you're uh, first then
1: I think so I think so so uh so knowing that I think it's just um it, it really doesn't matter it's just a fun conversation to have with other JAs or Japanese Americans but no one else cares
0: you said you speak Japanese do you speak it fluently is that what you spoke in your household growing up
1: Diamond, I wish I can. I wish I could say that, but growing up, yeah, I I would say that that was my first language, so up until maybe about fifth or sixth grade, that was my primary language, Uh, and then after that, it was just all English from there on out, so I can still speak. I got a a very elementary, middle school level, but that's about it.
0: When did you move to the States? How old were you?
1: I was two months old, so I came to the States. My mom was here. She's first-generation Japanese, She was here in LA and then she went to Japan just to have me, just to have like the support of her parents and her family. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say I'm like first or second. I went there just to to be born and came right back. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's kind of interesting, interesting way of thinking of it. First generation going back to have another first generation.
1: (laughs) See, that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. So you still spoke Japanese in the household, even though you lived here up until fifth or sixth grade?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously I, I went to American school too. So my mm-hmm. English and my Japanese were about the same growing up. But after middle school, I mean, I really, I really just kind of tailed off and, and uh, just stuck to English pretty much. I wanted mm-hmm. to be as American as I could be. Yeah. In, yeah. In, yeah. Growing up in the eighties, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Did you have other Japanese friends with you?
1: Totally. So I went to Japanese school. I went to American school, you know, from seven to what, 3 PM elementary mm-hmm. school. Right. And then from 4 to seven thirty, I went to Japanese school every single day so it was just a it was just a weird unique kind of cool experience growing up uh, because I would have two sets of communities but uh, it's interesting because I would always try to like battle like where do I fit in because in American school obviously like I'm just like the oriental kid or, or there's a, a gang of Japanese Americans who are very clicky they had their own community too so to them, I was way too fob and to my fob friends, I was too Americanized. So like, I always had this like, damn, like where do I, where do I fit in here? You know, but then to all the white kids, the black kids, the Hispanics, I'm just the Oriental kid. Mm-hmm. So it was just really cool to, to be able to, to, to be sensitive to those feelings and that awareness at such a young age. Uh, but that really allowed me to be expressive and, and be culturally aware and to be fascinated just by humans in general and how they, how they act socially, you know, in, in, in our environment. So that's really what drew my fascination from early on.
0: I'm a little bit envious of you. I, I wish I went to Japanese school because I, my household didn't speak Japanese. My mom didn't speak Japanese because my grandfather went to internment camps, and basically when wow. he got out and he started his family and everything, he told his children, don't speak Japanese, speak English. Like do you, yeah. you're, we're trying to uh, assimilate. Is that the word? Assimilate yeah, the best yeah. that we can. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's, it's been crucial times, right? So there's a lot of, there's, there's, there are communities or there are t- like sides where people never talk about it or bring it up.
0: Mm-hmm. And then there are,
1: those are fairly open about that. We just mm-hmm. have to be sensitive to, to both sides.
0: Did your dad go to an internment camp?
1: No, none of my family did. And mm-hmm. so it was weird. Like, I never really thought about that. Like, I never questioned why we did not mm-hmm. My dad's side, our Hokama side came from, the, from Japan in the 1800s, mm-hmm. right? So we've been here a long time. So I don't know how that, 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 didn't, that didn't occur. I think at that time, maybe my grandparents were missionaries. So they were somewhere else at that time, maybe. That's, uh, that's I did. Yeah, okay. so none of our families were in internment camps at all.
0: Okay, I have um, a little bit of a cool story. My great-grandfather, it's it's not cool, it's actually quite sad about the internment camp, but my great-grandfather... He's a farmer, My the Tsukuma side of my family, they're all farmers. Mm. And I've heard that he had dynamite on him because he was clearing land for farming at the time. Wow. And they used that as grounds to send him to jail because he had explosives or, or, or weapons basically, just because just they were trying to round up all of the Japanese people at the time. And it's like, it's a little bit ridiculous that you've done this, but our neighbor, he was really cool. He basically told my great grandparents that we will take your land we'll we'll say we want it we'll we'll buy it or however that worked we'll take ownership of it and when yeah. you come back we'll give it back to you and that's exactly how it happened so when they got out of the internment camps they came back the neighbors are were still really good friends family friends wow. and everything like that and they got their farm back and everything was good
1: wow so they, they honored their word at least mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: so yeah. i found something really interesting that i didn't know about you you okay. used to be a rock star is that I, that how
1: it is? I was a musician. I I, I was a frontman of a rock band for eight years. Uh, if people say he's a rock star, then I, you know I'll just have fun with it. But I'll never call myself a rock star. I was a lead singer <laughs> of a rock band, and that was that was just one of the yeah, I mean, definitely the greatest time of my life. I mean, now obviously, like I'm married and mm-hmm. I have my life, and that's great too. But yeah, those are some good memories for sure.
0: I just imagine young you with like the rock star hands, like on a stage yelling. Yeah! <laughs>
1: I didn't go that far, but I did have all the piercings. I had long, longer hair. Um, I would at times just like paint my nails black and and it was crazy, man. Like I I really had a great time. Those are the (laughs) best days. Being on stage was my comfort zone, Diamond.
0: Something you said that caught my attention Mm -hmm. in one of your interviews was that you ended up stopping that because it seemed as though you weren't marketable as an Asian American during that time. Can you talk more on that and, and share your opinions about that and, and maybe share a defining tale. <laughs> See what I did there A defining tale where you really saw that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, man, we're going, we're going, we're going way back You're <laughs> making me work today. Damn. <laughs> so, so when I started, it was literally right after 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had quit my job, right? I quit my job, my first corporate job. I was still in college, so I got a co- I got a gig while in college as a highlight producer. And uh, obviously, you can imagine my mom freaking out when I told her, "Hey, by the way, I quit to join a band, right?" <laughs> and, and typical uh, Asian like-
0: parents, that type of thing.
1: No, 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 no. My my parents weren't very typical. So I was very fortunate in the sense that they never pushed me to be okay. a doctor or a lawyer. Like, I don't think they even checked my grades ever since like maybe sixth grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was always, I was always kind of like on my own and dreaming and, and, and thinking of my clear cut future that I wanted for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the band days were dope because I had no filter in terms of like, Oh, what's my marketability or how are we going to sell our, 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 our merch and our CDs, I was in the California, LA bubble, right? So I didn't think about the Midwest or East or any of the South, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, we were getting big out here in LA and opening for national acts. And so, you know, for us growing up in LA, being, uh, being Asian American is like the norm, you know, mm-hmm. like oftentimes we were the ones setting the trend. And so it's just like, I didn't, I didn't know the outside perception of America or U.S., Uh, about Asian Americans. So we're like, oh, hell yeah, dude. Like there's three, four, uh, two or three of us who are Asian representing. We're a rock band and I'm the front man and then our guitarist is another Japanese dude. And uh, and so when we would actually get bigger and then we would um, start getting noticed by smaller labels, independent labels, um, you know, we've had discussions, but we wanted to go for the top. So we named all the top record labels that we wanted to get signed to. And, you know, through relationships, uh, we were able to showcase in front of a few major major record uh labels who are still t- here today very prominent names uh, but one after another like they're just like ah not nah, sorry um you know we can't really sell you know this product product meaning our band and our music mm-hmm. right and uh and we were just like kind of like dumped on it. like why like look at look at us here in in the local scene we're produced by you know the guitarist of this major band that everyone knows about they're on a world tour we didn't, we didn't understand. We didn't get it. I wasn't aware of that uh, until uh, 2008 was our very last show. And we showcased in front of, I think it was uh, Sony. And, um, and we're like, dude, this is the, this is the day we're going to get signed. And we killed it. Like We killed that show. It was uh, sold out Saturday night. We headlined at the Roxy in Hollywood. And uh, again, same feedback. Uh, you guys are marketable lead singer. And you're not very good. You know, this and this and that. And of course, you know, hearing that was like a blow to me, right? Because um, I'm just like, I just don't understand. Like, what do you mean we're not marketable? Like, I don't get it until it was later on that I understood business. I understood that everything pretty much is a business, right? And, uh, and, and that's when I realized, damn, like, uh, it's kind of like how people now are starting to understand uh, certain racism or prejudice on a systemic level. Um, uh, I just realized like, oh my gosh, like now that YouTube got famous and I started to see the analytics and the business behind everything. I was like, okay, if it's like 2005, there's no YouTube, everything is based on image and sellability, marketability. Oh, I get it because at that time there are no prominent Asian Americans in the entertainment industry. And while I was bitter for so many years in the beginning, I see it now and be like, oh, I would have done the same thing if I was like the CEO of a record label. Uh, I didn't take it personally anything like that. But luckily, as you look back now and see where we're at now, I think 15, 20 years later, right now, finally, Asian Americans are starting to, to turn heads in music and dance and arts. Um, like we're actually the ones setting the trend now, right? It just wasn't our time. Obviously, there are were, there were, there were plenty of uh, indie bands that were making it out there during that time. Some bands had, uh, you know, an, an Asian guitarist or something like that, but um, I never really saw a, a prominent dope freaking headlining act that had an Asian singer. You know, so that was, that was just a, a very cool, unique time uh, because now I look at it and it's like, oh, I could only be thankful, Diamond, because obviously at that time, I thought I had what it took to, to make it to the next level. Uh, but now I think back, it's like there's no way, like I wasn't a very good singer. Um, I understood. I understand how they were thinking from a business standpoint, if they're going to invest in us, they need to see the return. And I could see that and understand that. Uh, and more so, all it led was for me to, 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 for my next stage in life, which is like speaking and, and creating content and just allow me to be completely uh, carefree, courageous, fearless, you know, and, and be who I am in front of people, and and I use those eight years to just be like, damn, I'm so grateful because that shaped who I am today. Mm -hmm.
0: What do you think has changed in the present day that suddenly made, I suppose, Asian Americans in media? Because it's not just in music. I've seen so many more leading actors and actresses as well, and a lot of online celebrities too who are Asian just really come up firsts come in come in the front they're the forerunners what do you think's changed
1: well the talent level for sure it's undeniable um you know everything the best will always float to the top mm. and i feel like asians have really mastered the craft that they've been putting out uh, singing dancing art artistry even athletics you know you start to see some powerhouses in olympics right now and so, um, at the end of the day, time allows uh, these craftsmen, craftswomen to really elegantly put out their, their greatest work. And that's undeniable. And obviously, through, through the power of social media and, and the media itself, um, I think people are starting to see it. It's through awareness. And you can't deny greatness, man. Like, you just can't deny it. Like, like before, back in the days, Blacks weren't allowed to entertain until like the Michael Jacksons and, and the Michael Jordans. That's where sort of the 80s, but obviously like from the 50s and 60s, um, when, when you see talent, raw talent that turns into mastery, I don't care who you are, you can't deny that kind of stuff. So I think it was just time, time mm-hmm. and exposure. And then right now it's just our time.
0: I mean, in the politest way possible, I feel like Asians are taking over in a good way, in a, in a really good way, because I just see everywhere. Everywhere, 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 there's more and more influential Asian people, even in politics. I'm not really big on politics, and I don't Mm -hmm. particularly enjoy talking about it, but even in politics, I hear a lot about more Asian American women and Asian American men coming in the forefront for politics as well.
1: You best believe. It's our time. I'm telling you right now, Diamond. It's our Mm -hmm. time, Diamond. Mm Yeah.
0: You know who I would love to see uh, more? He's older now. In fact, I think he's very old. George Takei. Yeah. I would love to see more of him talking because he's got one, a great voice. He's got a great voice. I would listen to him all the time. And two, he has such a clear way of speaking and sharing his tales. I think he's a great representative for Asian Americans.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I regret to, to not get to know his story a little bit more, but you prompted me to do that. So once, once this conversation's over, I'm going to start doing some digging for sure.
0: Yeah. He has an interesting tale. Uh, You know, he should be my dream person to interview on this podcast. In fact, I'm putting him as my dream person (laughs) to interview on the podcast. Put that
1: in existence right there.
0: I will. He will be on the show. He has, he went to an internment camp here at five years old. And so his perspective is really interesting because he saw it as a child, not as an adult. And he saw all of the aunties getting together and just trying to make life work in the camps and rather wow. than um, as I suppose such a, a bad thing. And he even said his younger sister, when they left the internment camp said, I want to go back home talking about the internment camp because when they came back, they had nothing from where they yeah. previously were. So he has a really interesting view on it because he's talking about it from a child and from a child's perspective and how his views developed of it from a child's perspective I, I i encourage you to watch more of him he's really interesting
1: i will i will and i can only think about some of the adversity he had to face internally as a japanese american uh, gay man right mm-hmm. especially in in his generation where it's it was so taboo and uh for him to represent the way he is is really empowering man i respect that guy for sure mm-hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I I really appreciate that, man. He's awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. speaking of Japanese men or Mm -hmm. Asian men, you said something in an interview with eating eating cast. Eating cast. cast.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you said a you said a statement in there that's a stereotype for some Mm -hmm. Asian men is think smaller but be the best at it. So I was curious uh, for two things one, I wanted to talk to you more about this statement in particular, think smaller, but be the best at it. And also two, I would love to hear if there were some other stereotypes that you think should be broken away from for Asian Americans or Asian American men or Asian American women, whatever.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think for, for, for me, Diamond, I always think of, you know, the, the self, right. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm Asian or black or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I, when I speak, I don't speak into the Asian person. I speak into the self, the person self. So when I say that, especially when I, what I hear from Asians is that we as men, especially we grew up with this narrative that it's like, Hey, for an Asian guy, you're freaking dope.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he's at, he's pretty cute for an Asian guy. Those are things yeah. that we would always hear. So it was this natural, like auto suggestive thinking pattern that we as Asian Americans grew up. It was like this paradigm that we couldn't get out of. And so when I say, you know, to, to be, to think small, but be the best at that is already coming from that place. Oh, well, you know what? Uh, this is good for Asians. So um, I want to be the director of engineering rather than the CEO, because, you know, for an Asian, that's freaking dope. Mm-hmm. And we have like these locked in narratives that's been passed down from generations that become normal for us. And so that's what I wanted to break free from. Like, Yo, dude, if you become the best at who you are, if you chase your fullest potential instead of, hey, for, for an Asian, this should be dope. If you could have a different relationship to the internal conversations that you have, then you can break free from anything and just be the best, period. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's uh, Ichiro was one of the greatest hitters of all time. And he came, he was, they, they, they herald him as in Japan, he was the greatest hitter until he came. To, to the United States, play for the Mariners, and he became the greatest hitter of all time. So they're never going to say, oh, you know what? For a Japanese good, he was, a great, he was the greatest Japanese hitter in major leagues. They're just going to say he was the greatest mm-hmm. uh, baseball player or the hitter in, 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 in baseball. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's basically what I'm saying is go for it all and shred all these inside narratives that's been clinging on in your own mind, that automatically takes you to a second-class citizen type of mentality. And Mm -hmm. that's all I wanted to say was like, dude, shred that, if that's what you're naturally thinking. A lot of us aren't even aware of that. We're not conscious of that because at such an early age, that's been ingrained in our brain subconsciously right? So by the time we're seven, our, our consciousness is pretty much made up of everything that happened up until we were seven from everything that we've been told. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. my narrative with those guys at eating cast is that we have to learn to unlearn things so that we can cast a a better narrative for ourselves and be completely limitless in how we want to create our future. And Mm -hmm. so even with our future, let's shred every uh, stereotype or every narrative that we have most of which comes from the guilt that's been passed down from our parents and we're not aware of that so we always think oh i'm a stereotypical asian guy they wanted me to do to become a lawyer doctor that's already a given everyone's been talking about that for the last 30 years what people don't talk about is the guilt that they can get past that from their parents narrative a lot of us uh, are living our parents' dreams, that we're living out their guilt, right? We have to live out so that we don't feel guilty of going what we wanted to do because we felt this uh, obligatory type of, of feeling from, a, from generations passed down because they made all the sacrifices. And whether they say it or not, they have like this entitled uh, almost um, like, well, now I, I came from here and I brought you here for this opportunity. So now it's your turn to take care mm-hmm. of me. And whether it's said or not, uh, that oppression is heavy. That oppression is still there in that. In so many ways, we are locked in this prison mindset. And that's where the issue is, I believe, more so than ever right now. Mm -hmm. So it's how do we break free? How do we unlearn the things from the generations that's being passed down mentally to break free from that so that we can live in pure freedom and happiness and joy?
0: You said something that I'm not entirely clear on what it means what does it mean to be a second-class citizen
1: it's basically how should i say this so i can explain the best way through my own self-narrative uh, when i got into personal development and when i started saying to myself you know i i'm gonna break out of my own mold right mm-hmm. meaning that i'm not gonna think uh from a very conventional way that i'm gonna go to school get a freaking kick-ass amazing job so that by the time I'm 65, hopefully I can retire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I committed to a life of personal discovery, freedom, uh, expression, and just living out my best life. So my passion is me living to my greatest potential. Mm-hmm. And so when I sought after that, um, I got mentored by this fantastic man. Um, he's freaking awesome. He's a visionary. He's a leader amongst leaders and uh he's he's till this day he's doing some dope things with some amazing people around the world i got to, i got to travel with him as soon as i got married and uh we lived in community lived at his house uh for three months and we would go and travel so one trip we went to thailand spent some time at the red light district with uh, human traffic victims we went to uh the tilapia farms where they housed people and they grew them developed them so that they can get away from uh just a, a tyranny of oppression and when we came back, we went to New York and we did some some real cool meetings, did life with, for example, the CEO of East Saint Laurent YSL, uh, the the founder of Clear, uh, Charity Water? Clarity Clearwater, I forget, Charity Water, huge nonprofit organization, some of the biggest leaders in New York. And I was his guest of honor. And I remember every single time they're like, oh, this is, this is Carrie. He's, he's with me this week. And every time they're like, Hey, Carrie, so what is it that you do? And I would always say, oh, I'm, I'm just here with Dave. I'm just a so-and-so mm-hmm. I'm just a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware of that until I got back and my mentor, Dave pulled me aside. and said, Carrie, you know, uh, some of your language, you know, you come across as a second class citizen, you know, you're not just anything. You are what you say and what you do and when mm-hmm. you're with me when you're with everybody you're first class remember that wherever you go you're a first class citizen and that really changed the trajectory of my of my life how i saw things my self worth my confidence that all of us have to start from a place where rudimentary in our skills where we don't know as many, we're not as confident with who we are but as we continue just to climb towards you know our our highest self our ideal self we always have to act that we are the most important person because we're committing to our self-growth first and foremost, always being first class. And so it's it's just walking with pride and knowing that your best is yet to come because you're committing to that. And, and, and that's where I think a lot of times that second class uh, shows up in myself and I catch myself with that. And I feel like I see that in other people. Mm-hmm. When I always bring that story up, it really hits them um, you know, the way it hit me, and it, we, f- we formed this bond, and that's, that's a great way for accountability to, to really spread, and and, and uh, for a community to just get strong, my friends, and now to get stronger together, so that's what I mean by second-class citizen.
0: I think a lot of people can relate to the I'm just, uh, or I'm just, because even, even when you said that, as soon as you said it, as soon as you said that your mentor pulled you aside and pointed that out, I was thinking of times where I've been like, oh, I think I've introduced myself as, oh no no no, I'm with I'm with my partner. I'm just. Blah, 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 blah.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We do that with our partners. We do that with our significant others. We do that mm-hmm. with our friends, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We always start to like get feel smaller, and you mm-hmm. and you become you you start playing that role. And I'm saying, stop that! Like there ain't no reason for that. Like no matter where you are, you are first class. Ah,
0: oh, I love that. I, f- I feel inspired to do more right now. <laughs>
1: that's what I'm saying, man. So, I mean, diamond, like you and I like treat, treat each other like King and Queens, right? Like we're mm-hmm. always to each other. And, and, and the greatest asset is for us to always make people feel like royalty um, wherever they're at, because the ability to allow people to meet people where they're at, and then you get to champion that person to be their greater self is the greatest gift that you can give to people. But that starts by you living out to your fullest potential first. Mm-hmm, so that it, mm-hmm. there's nothing phony about that.
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I'm actually going to pull the conversation back to the second part of the the topic, which was some stereotypes that you think Asian Americans can break away from still.
1: It's, it's a funny relationship I have with stereotypes, Diamond, because yeah. I always feel like I was, again at six or seven i was mesmerized by entertainment so i watched uh, sports i watched movies and i watched entertainment like my parents were so busy trying to make ends meet uh that i was always just kind of like watching michael jordan michael jackson and i would i was was always fascinated by entertainers and actors and things that just resonated uh greatness Mm -hmm. and so when i say stereotype like when i when i was growing up i was like damn man like who do I, what do I have to do to to become like Michael Jordan or or Michael Jackson? Mm -hmm. I would emulate these guys to the T. I'd dance, uh, I'd sing, I'd freaking play basketball. And so even at seven or eight, I started auditioning for, you know, commercials and acting and and dancing and singing at 10 as a fifth grader. You know, I was in hip hop dance and I would tour around all the elementary schools in my neighborhood and our, in our district as entertainers. Right. So when it, I have different types of stereotypes when mm-hmm. I think about that, um, I didn't understand that we had stereotypes until I got into college. So when I went to Santa Barbara, I always w- was under the notion that Asians were cool, like we were trans. Yeah, zone. yeah, yeah. But the stereotypes are like, okay, that guy's a book a book nerd, or he's a dork, right? He's a dweeb, or he's like a, a, a you know kind of like the unathletic type, but. I counted that for every, every race, like whether you're black or Mexican mm-hmm. or whatever, like if you're a dork, you're a dork. If you're a nerd, you're a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so, but, but, but it wasn't until I got into college where I stepped in, I was still myself and I thought that there was going to be a huge Asian American community. And I was like such the minority, man. Like I couldn't, I like every hundredth person would be like maybe Asian, Mm-hmm. and and then when i saw that Asian, i was like damn i can't see myself freaking hanging out with this dude because he looks kind of nerdy or dorky <laughs> or whatever right so <laughs> so i think that's when i realized damn like asians in, in certain demographics are super insignificant they probably see me as a guy who's trying to be a, a, a as a dork as a dork <laughs> but but i was super hip hip hopped out though so the I cool dork <laughs> Yeah, but, but, you know, that's when I realized, damn, I'm such an outlier and they don't care about you know, Asian gangs and 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 these cliques that we w- we had in, in L.A. Like they don't know; they just care about like which party they're gonna go to that has the most kegs. You know, listening to Sublime, and and I was like so new to that scene.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and so I had to quickly acclimate and understand. Like, wow, man! Like this is a whole new world where uh, really it's it's a white dominated society, and uh, that was the first time I re- I was really in tune with like stereotypes and prejudice. And even mm-hmm. racism at times, you know, mm-hmm. so it was a cool experience, but I would say this diamond now that more so than ever, I think that the stereotypes, aside from the obvious, especially for men, which is like you know we're we're non alpha right, meaning that we 're more on the beta side we 're quiet, we don 't stand up we're uh, mm-hmm. we don't we don't mm-hmm. talk much, that we are and there's like the sexual sexual like you know stereotypes and stuff like that, right yeah <laughs> uh, but you know but the fact is that. if you look at research, I do understand that Asians are the least sexually desirable group of people in the United States. And for women, it's like black females. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when you think about that, it's like, man, I, I wonder why Like, I, I guess I understand. I, I, I can see it. I just always had enough respect and confidence in myself that I was not one of those stereotypes. So i would live it out, you know, mm-hmm. but I'd see certain guys. I'll be like, bro, you got to freaking like step up a little bit, you know, <laughs> represent for us a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the greatest conviction I had recently was this diamond is that I, do you remember William Hung who did? Uh, yeah. 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 Right When he first came out, like, I was so ashamed. I'm like, bro, like, this is not the type of representation that we want for a community, yeah. for a people. A lot of the, the prominent actors that you see, I don't get too hyped on. I'm not, very t- I'm not very happy about the guys who play all these reoccurring roles where Americans or the outside race can kind of like laugh at us, not laugh with us. Mm -hmm. right and and i've come to accept it because they got to do whatever it takes to make money feed their family and support themselves and i i completely respect that that's one thing but a second thing is to continually fulfill that role where the outside can laugh at us playing those roles i'm not a fan of Mm -hmm. and so those are the stereotypes that i like to break again that i believe we can be sex symbols we are creative monsters we're geniuses Mm -hmm. We can hold our own. We could go out there and speak in public. We can lead forces, like you Mm -hmm. said, like in politics. Uh, We're great athletes. We're freaking smart as hell. And I think, again, rather than saying it's all about Asian representation, if we can break out of the old narratives that we have and reach for the top, no matter what, all the stardom or the representation is only going to be a natural byproduct of our results. So I've always been about that mm-hmm. and uh, and I can't and now because I am an Asian American, that is my message mainly naturally to the Asian American men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I identify with all these Asian dudes. I actually uh, identify uh, with very diverse, Culture, you know what I mean? Like I grew up with the Mexican homies, the black guys. I grew up Mm -hmm. listening to hip hop. I had to learn rock music when I joined the band. Mm -hmm, You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so, but my my gift has always been to be able to connect with people uh, in front of them. I felt that that was my God-given gift. So now, as I experienced all that, and I see that from an older guy growing up in the 70s 80s and 90s uh, and seeing where that there's really really no huge barrier now right the now it's like social media there's no huge cultural gap it's it's actually cool to be asian or a minority american Mm -hmm. here in the united states making noise and so the the stereotypes for the most part are gone i think it's just like when people play that tired ass role of of us being a dork or we have a uh, we have small penises or or whatever it is dude like when people play that role it just irks the hell out of me because i mean you're just playing into people laughing at us you know Mm -hmm. so the question was how do do you break out
0: how you think they should be broken away from
1: it's to step into your personal greatness that's Mm -hmm. how you that's how you break out of it so I mentioned William Hung is because I have a greater ending to that. So I I used to judge William Hung. I used to judge people like Margaret Cho. Be like, man, you guys you suckers, man. You guys are making us look bad. I actually had the chance to interview face-to-face William Hung. And I said, you know what, bro? All these years, people casted you as an Asian stereotype. But nothing could be further from the truth. It's because you, as opposed to a traditional conservative asian american who just go this one linear path of going to school get good grades and you you support your family Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh you kept on trying new things you went on 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 national tv to sing and you didn't give a crap about what people said about you and then you went on to you went on to become you went to go on a freaking tour whether people laughed at you or with you like you still did it you still freaking did it right uh and then now that carved a path for you to go around and speak and share your story of of how not to give a damn about about what people think about you that is the greatest fear of asians is to is to uh to go out there and be yourself and not give a damn because for so many years we've been locked in a cage of judgment of what our parents think of, of mm-hmm. satisfying our parents needs why because of their fears you know mm-hmm. that they cast it on us right so i say that a guy like william is a trailblazer
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i want more trailblazers to go out and work their land of greatness And that's how we're going to break these molds, man. And to go out there and be loud, don't be loud as an Asian guy, but be loud with your greatness. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so whether you are a doctor, whether you are a freaking chemist or a singer or a content producer or a filmmaker or a makeup artist, if you're the greatest in the world or in your craft, in your industry, people are going to take notice, not as an Asian person, but because you are a freaking master of your craft, and that's mm-hmm. what I continually encourage people to do, and that's like my passion is to—I'm—I I'm wanted to die for that message, and—and—and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's what it is. And so, say no, say no to a thousand things, and just do only that which gets you closer to your focus and your goals. That's what I—that's what I continue to, to preach uh, to mm. my audience.
0: I love that. I love that so much. I think that that's a good spot for us to start wrapping up. I want to finish with a quick question. What advice would you give to a young individual who was in your shoes before?
1: Yeah, I would say that when you think about life, no one's escaped life, right? We all die Mm -hmm. and we all die. There's No matter how awesome you are, no matter how many things you've accomplished, no matter how the world sees you as a hero or whatnot... Uh, you're gonna die. Right. And and it's crazy to think that because the average lifespan is say 75, but if you sleep eight hours a day, I mean that's already third of your life that you, you spent sleeping.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: when you think about the the present moment, I want you guys to have a clear cut future of your highest self-image. Like who's the highest person that you yourself wanna be. And I'd say to just focus on doing everything you can to achieve your higher self. And so that's that's what I could say is to, to love hard. Money and all that will come and go, but really what you have is just like your reputation, the memories and the relationships that you create along the way. And so to, yes, to, to be present, live in the moment, but also have uh, an absolute crystal clear Uh, image of yourself that you want to see at at your highest level
0: awesome thank you so much carrie thank you again for coming on to the show i really appreciate it if our listeners want to get more of you where can they find you at
1: yeah the best way is i'm um, i'm most active on instagram personally so i'm Mm -hmm. at carrie does c-a-r-y-d-o-e-s and that's my handle because i only show and post things that i do so just carrie does and then whatever i post is what i do and uh, i've been more active on on Facebook and YouTube as well. So please check out YouTube. I have two channels. I have one that's strictly personal development and entrepreneurship called Thou, and Thou means you, but it stands for the heart of us. So you are the heart of us. And uh, the next one is just more fun, lifestyle, food content. It's called uh, Food Fest Live. So catch me at any of those channels, and uh, I'm the one responding and engaging. So love to get to know you guys and and connect awesome
0: thank you so much
1: thank you diamond this is dope asian tales all the way
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you beautiful people for listening to another episode of the asian tales the asian tales podcast does have a few announcements first happy new years happy 2021 everyone fingers crossed that things go really well this year Second, the Asian Tales Podcast will be removing their Patreon page. We've decided to just post the bonus mini-episodes to the regular Spotify channel. The bonus mini-episodes will also be having advertisements tied to them, so we are trying a new thing, and I hope that it works out and that it's not too much of an inconvenience to our listeners. The Asian Tales Podcast posts new episodes the 1st and 15th of every month. Sometimes it is the 2nd and 16th of every month. This time, we were a little bit... Bit late because our host me had a little bit of a cold and I was not able to post or record the intro to our episodes I hope that you enjoyed this and if you are interested in getting a hold of me you can reach me at instagram at diamond Ripka, d-i-a-m-o-n-d-r-y-p-k-a thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time